مورخین و شاهدان عینی که هنوز هستن امدهی از اونها هستن کسانی زیادی که تحولات هفتاد هشتاد ساله گذشته رو از نزدیک دیدن و هنوز صاحب عقل هستن هنوز حیم حاضرن اون زمان قدرت تشخیص داشتن هنوز هم قدرت تشخیص دارن اینها شهود هستن که وقوع کروهای آدم سوزی در موقعیتی به نام آشویت این رو رد میکنن و علت شاید شاید من به نظرم میرسه که اگر کسانی تحول یا واقعه یا پدیده سوزاندن یهودیانه حاضر در سرزمین جرمن در بحران جنگ دوم جهانی رو به هولوکاست تشبیه میکنند شاید یک دلیل تبلیغاتی روانی داره اصولا در اون مقطع 6 میلیون یهودی وجود داشته که حالا به پسیم همین رو در پرای روزگر بگردن این روان روان مبالغ آمیزیست بسیار مبالغ آمیزه و کل یهودی ها در دنیا اگر بشی رقمی در حدود دوازده میلیون بعد از پنج و هفت سال الان رقم حداکثر به دوازده میلیون رسیده که قطعا در اون زمان تعداد یهودی ها به دلیل پراکندگی حداقل در اروپا نمیتوانستن شش میلیون باشن ولی حال خود لابی سرمیستی و آژانس یهودی این مسئله رو به مقداری عنوان شما برای بینن قربی ها و برای باچخاتی از قربی
أخواتي أجسام متراكمة على بعضها جزاء المفارقة وصدق ابن مسعود لما قال شوفوا أدي سلك بتصحق بيه أجسامهم شو ده متربط هو وخمسة معاه بجنازير هيشنقوا بجنزير وقع ركزوا يا إخواني شوفوا أدي بيزنقوا الجنزير شوفوا أدي رؤوس خمسة خمس رؤوس مع بعضهم وأدي أجسام وده بيوف بيسقط ظهره بمسمار وده طفل بيستنى هيسكت بس تشوفوا الذل اللي عليهم أجسام عمالها سبحان الله العظيم هم ظلم وبيهجروا صدق ابن مسعود حين قال ما من ظالم إلا ويقتلب من يظلمه هذه أجسام وهذه قتل وهذه كناجم وهذه أجسام اليهود بتشحن أقل مما تشحن البهائم والحيوانات شوفوا الجرافة بتدرس أجسام اليهود وهذه المشردين المنتظرين القتل شوفوا الجندي الألماني هيجي دلوقتي شوفوا امرأة يهودية هتقبل إيه وشوفوا الذل من الخوف والرعب اللي اصابها بقتل شوفوا قد ايه ادي اليهوديه تقبل شوفوا الذل هو ده اللي احنا منتظرينه يحصل لكن ان شاء الله على ايد المسلمين جدا Yeah. 
the next one, don't start yet. Uh, I, this is on a TV channel in Egypt, which is a new one. It was uh, only started uh, earlier this year. And this is a channel which was set up, established, to support Mubarak and his party, and to counter the uh, Islamist propaganda. So, and they call themselves the Liberal Channel. It's named Farahin. Uh, in this channel, they have a special program on Israel, on Jews, about what is published in the Israeli press. And here, the, uh, the moderator of this program uh, decided to, for her subject, the Holocaust and the Holocaust denial. And she brought an expert, an academic expert, actually a nice guy, Dr. Saint Okasha. She introduces her question this way. I, I repeat the question because it's a lengthy clip and we won't have time to see all of it. So I have to summarize. She introduces the question this way. Uh, this is a controversial issue, the issue of the Holocaust. Some claim that the number of people killed was only 30,000. The Jews claim that the number is as high as 3 million. There are those who claim 300,000. Uh, so, Dr. Okasha, what do you say? Uh, Dr. Okasha starts by saying that the, actually the number is 6 million. And she goes berserk. She, she thinks that he is crazy. He said, where from did you invent this number? 6 million. The Jews even don't say that they claim it's 3 million. How come you say 6? All right, so we have, this is something to be watched. On the liberal, on the so-called liberal channel in Cairo. Yeah, I to go to ولكن <تصفيق> يعني ايه الوثائق اللي تحت ايد اللي كتب التقرير بتقول له دول 30,000 وايه الوثائق اللي تحت ايد؟ انا اقول لك الارشيف نفسه والارشيف الالماني نفسه والارشيف الانجليزي موجودين الباحثين والمؤرخين بيستخدموا وثائق ما بيجوش يقولوا ارقام كده على على عوانه بيجيب ارقام انا ما كنتش عارف قوي يعني في ناس بقى انا متاكد استاذ سعيد انا هقول لك انا متاكد بس احنا كمان عندنا وثائق في باحث قلنا من خلال هذا الباحث ركز قوي على فكره حاجات اصبحت معصومه يعني كلام عن بروتوكولات حكماء سوريين هذه وثيقه مزوره بسببها احنا المنظمات اليهوديه يعني دي مزوره بجد علينا قبول يعني الله يخليك بس خلينا اتركنا من موضوع بروتوكولات حكماء صهيون ابو سيده خلينا بعيد عن هذا الموضوع It goes on and on like this with poor Dr. Kasha trying to speak rationally as a scholar and she just becomes more and more angry at him, and uh, I'm sure this was the first and last time that he's on this channel. <laughs> well, thank you. studies and culture in Paris. Uh, he lives in Istanbul. 
and is the author of several books and articles on the history of Turkish Jews in the Turkish Republic, and also works on conspiracy theories and anti-Semitism in contemporary Turkey. He will be speaking on that, conspiracy theories, anti-Semitism, and Jews in Turkey today. Uh, Colonel Jonathan Feigl uh, served in various operational and field posts of intelligence gathering for the Israel Defense Force Intelligence Corps, and he held several command positions uh, in the West Bank, including Governor of Ramallah, Janine, and Tulkarn. Uh, he is at the uh, Institute for Counterterrorism, IDC, Herzliya, uh, head of the Prosecuting Terrorism Intelligence Unit at the ICT. Um, and his work covers the Palestinian Authority, Hamas, Al-Qaeda, and the phenomenon of Palestinian suicide terrorism. Um, he also works on the internet as a tool for propaganda, recruitment, and fundraising for radical Islam. And Professor Jeffrey Kerf uh, is at the University of Maryland, um, where he studies, works on modern European history, specializing in 20th century Germany. Uh, Yale University Press has uh, recently published uh, his book, Nazi Propaganda for the Arab World, which has gotten a great deal of attention, uh, about the Third Reich's efforts to fuse its ideology to North Africa and the Middle East during World War II. And he will be speaking on Nazi propaganda to the Arab world and its effect in post-war militant Islam. So we will begin uh, with Professor Mahatma Wilson. The dehumanized image of the Jew forms an impediment to peace 
peace and normal relations. Second point. When speaking of anti-Semitism, I do not mean criticism of this or that Israeli policy. Mere criticism of Israel, whether justified or not, is not anti-Semitism. I'm speaking about dehumanization and demonization of the Jews and about the expectations of Muslims that they will slaughter all the Jews at the end of time. I mean, you have seen it, and uh, so you know what I'm talking about. Third point. The issue of contemporary Arab anti-Semitism is quite distinct from that of Muslim attitude to Jews and Judaism prior to the modern era. While these two issues are interrelated in various ways, their historical contexts are so completely different that to treat them together is either a methodological mistake or worse, a deliberate attempt to, up, to obscure the issue. They should be treated separately. I'm referring here to arguments that flow here from time to time, but what about the golden age in Spain? About the 11th, 12th century. Uh, to use it, to bring it up today in a totally different context is simply either a stupid mythological mistake or, as more often, a deliberate attempt to obfuscate the issue. Fourth point. There are those who claim that if you engage in exposing Arab and Islamic anti-Semitism, you are guilty of Islamophobia. This is, of course, a false charge. To expose Arab anti-Semitism is not in any way to say that all Arabs or all Muslims are anti-Semitic. However, this false charge has a purpose. It is intended to stop, indeed to preempt, the struggle against Arab anti-Semitism and to provide immunity to anti-Semites. Such manipulations should be rejected with contempt. And the fifth point, it should be emphasized that Arab anti-Semitic propaganda does not distinguish clearly between Jew, Zionist, and Israeli. These three concepts, again, as you have seen, it is amply shown in the various clips, uh, so that these three concepts, Jews, Israelis, Zionists, are, are used by the Arab and Iranian anti-Jewish publications as though they were synonymous. Now, what are the distinctive features of Arab anti-Semitism? And the following conclusions are based on really hundreds and hundreds of articles, be they written articles, be they uh, television programs that we at memory have monitored over the past uh, eight years. Uh, the distinctive features are based on one hand on, on indigenous elements and on borrowed imported elements. Um, the first, uh, the indigenous ones, the traditional Islamic sources, um, are, among others, the idea, the notion that Jews are apes and pigs. And you see how it is inculcated into young children. Uh, this insult, uh, of course, is not really part of the Quran. Because as I explained before, Quran does not say that all Jews are apes and pigs. But a given group of Jews who actually were not good Jews because they violated the Sabbath. Uh, but it has been taken already in the medieval times as a slur against all Jews, and is used now quite often by preachers. As a result of the exposure of this motif uh, and protests of various Jewish organizations to embassies, especially in Canada and, and in uh, Washington, to Egyptian embassies about that, the Azhar Council, uh, Science Scholarly Council, issued a, a, an advice, not a directive, but a, an advice to all preachers to abstain from using this slur. They can't order them not to use it, but they advise them, and that's uh, itself interesting, but we haven't seen that this disappeared. Not yet. The other motive is, the, um, is that the attempt to kill the Prophet, that the Jews conspired to murder the Prophet Muhammad, um, and um, and you saw it also both uh, in the 
from the, the girl. Well, you didn't see this, this little girl. I didn't. I cut the clip short. But this little girl who speaks about Jews and names and things also knows to tell the moderator that the Jewish woman attempted to kill the Prophet Muhammad, and she repeats the story, uh, which is a complicated story. Uh, but she was trained well. This three and a half year child. Um, the other, and the finally, uh, the eschatological tradition. The promise of the, which is known in the Arab tradition as the promise of the stones and the trees. The stones and the trees undertake to, to tell about Jews who will be hiding behind them at the end of time when the Muslims have to kill them. With the exception of the Ralqa, uh, which many preachers believe is planted around all the Jewish settlements in, in Israel. And, and you who visit Israel can look for it. Uh, so because the Jews know about the tradition and they know that this will be a place to hide when the day comes. So we spoke about that, you know. If you watch it on Google Earth, you can see it. You can actually see it. Well, try. Um, then comes the Western element. Uh, bloodline. The, uh, this uh, has come to the um, Arab, to the Arab world, to the Middle East, with the Damascus uh, blood libel in 1840, uh, when, when actually the uh, Ottoman government, which is the Islamic government, tried to limit it and eventually released the uh, Syrian Jews who were arrested. But before they were released, they were tortured, tormented, and so on. It was very easy to do. Uh, but since then, it has become very common. Uh, the um, in the years of Hafiz al-Assad, Bashar's uh, Assad father, and his eternal uh, vice president and uh, minister of defense, um, Mustafa Klaas, who considered himself an intellectual, wrote a book which was given and was published and was very popular about, uh, about how, the use, how the Jews use blood. And this book used to be given as a gift to every Syrian officer. And the book is still around, published. In republished again, reprinted again and again. Uh, and of course, it, uh, it was made into a film. In the year 2003, uh, the series produced a, a movie, uh, a television series, called The Diaspora, a Shatet, uh, which is, presents the history of the Jews in the diaspora but interpreted in accordance with the Protocols of the Elders of Zion and with the idea that Jews use blood. One scene from it you saw, uh, which was a bit dark, where the rabbi slaughters a Christian child. Um, it is a, a terrible series, but was very popular at the time, and of course sold, uh, it is being sold, in, in DVD, the DVDs are sold uh, all over. Uh, but the most insidious and very prevalent is the Protocols of the Elders of Zion. Now, uh, the Protocols were translated into Arabic first in 1925, after World War I. But for whatever reason, it uh, didn't uh, take root, it didn't spread. Not for a while, not for a whole generation. Interesting, it's a question in itself, and I dealt with it in an article which is coming out in Anti-Semitism International. But um, the, it, did, it started to, to become widespread in the mid-50s. A new translation came out in Egypt, and from then on, it, it spread uh, very much. I think the explanation for this is that uh, when Jews were relatively weak, um, the whole idea that the Jews conspire or even think about controlling the world was not really attractive to, to Arabs and Muslims. However, after Israel became a state, after the Israeli Haganah uh, and the other Jewish forces and the Israeli army managed to defeat the armies of seven Arab countries, then you have, you have a problem. You have a problem to explain because Jews are known to be cowardly and humiliated. That's, that's the Jew. Allah decreed that he be humiliated 
Allah determined the Jews are colony. And all of a sudden, these colony Jews defeat the army of seven armies. This, is, this creates a cognitive dissonance, which requires an explanation. And what is better to explain than a conspiracy theory? Ah, conspiracy, that is something with which, in which Jews are good, because even in the days of Muhammad, they conspired against him. Conspiracy, that's the Jewish trait. How do they manage to, to defeat us? Through conspiracies. So the conspiracy theory is necessary. It helps soothe and, and solve the cognitive dissonance. And it really becomes very popular. So much so that in 2002, there is a series, an Egyptian series, from which you saw one picture, which was a very successful um, movie or series chosen to be shown in the nights of Ramadan, that is the peak time of viewing in, uh, in the Muslim world. In the evenings after the fast, the family gathers, and there were some 40 chapters of this. So it was Ramadan plus 10 days after Ramadan. Uh, the series would not be outdone by the Egyptians, so the next year they produced Ashatat. But very cleverly and carefully, they allowed Al-Manar TV to show it that is Al-Manar in Lebanon, produced in Syria, shown from Lebanon by Hezbollah, the Syrian proxy. Um, when we uh, recorded it and, uh, and Trent made the, the subtitles, uh, this eventually was given by us to uh, Natan Sharansky, at that time uh, a member of the Israeli government, who sought it that it comes to, to France, and Chirac personally, after watching it, ordered to, uh, to outlaw Almanar TV, and to this day, the Almanar channel is banned in France. Um, the, Jews, uh, the Jews murdered Jesus. Well, you, you had the, uh, the explanation of Karadawi. It doesn't matter that we know, we Muslims know that Jesus didn't die on the cross. Nevertheless, the Jews were the criminals because they wanted him to die on the cross. So they are guilty. Uh, unless they um, unless they absolve themselves by so denouncing the sect. But they do not. So the fact in a section which you didn't see, he keeps on saying the fact that Pope, the Catholic Pope, absolved them from this doesn't mean that they are absolved, because there are other Christian groups. There are the Protestants, there are the Greek Orthodox, there are the Copts. So, what the Vatican said on this thing doesn't mean that they are innocent or clear on the charge. Holocaust denial is a combination. There is Holocaust denial or, of course, other forms of denial. They inflate the numbers. They both inflate the numbers. It couldn't have been six million because there weren't six million people in, in Europe, six million Jews in Europe, all sorts of uh, funny and silly arguments. But also, and that's the frightening thing, well, never mind, there was Holocaust. But they deserved it. They had to be punished. It was to be punished. This was ordained by Allah. And next time it will be at the end of Jews and it will be complete. Uh, the demonization of the Jew uh, leads to all sorts of uh, things, among others, of course, that the claims that many Muslims repeat on TV channels, radio programs, and articles, that it is Jews, the Mossad, sometimes with, sometimes without the uh, cooperation of the CIA, that is behind the 9-11 uh, destruction of the uh, World Center. Uh, this is a very common theme in, um, in the propaganda, in the Islamist propaganda. And finally, when I, what can be done about it? Um, I think the first step is to understand that this is a dangerous form of anti-Semitism, a dangerous, very dangerous form of propaganda. Uh, because when you create such an atmosphere in which Jews individually and collectively 
are not considered to be fully human, you prepare, you, 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 you issue, in fact, a warrant for genocide. I'm using, of course, the phrase coined by Norman Cohn years ago. And all of this, the meaning of this propaganda is really a warrant for genocide. Because if they are so vile, so demonic, so uh, cruel, uh, then they surely should be destroyed. The arrogant anti-Semitism has actually become the, lin the linchpin of anti the anti-Semitic international. There is now a very effective communist international, there isn't, uh, but there is an anti-Semitic international not a church which is organized, but still they know to identify each other. Arab and Islamic anti-Semitism in a strange but dangerous way has been embraced by the, the post-modern global theology which falsely calls itself the human rights movement. This concocted, highly irrational global movement views the Jew, qua Israeli, as the demon and the Palestinian as the innocent victim. And uh, theologies need demons on the one hand and innocent victims on the other. And that's in this unholy church, global church, postmodern church, uh, unfortunately, Israelis, Jews, Zionists are the demons. Countering Arab anti Semitism is therefore not merely a matter of combating falsehood and prejudice. It is a vital component in the struggle of Jews in Israel and elsewhere for safety, peace, and human dignity. I'll stop it. Next, Mr. Rukhat Ali on conspiracy theories and anti-Semitism in Turkey. Thank you. Greetings from Istanbul, Turkey. First of all, I would like to thank very much Professor Schaffmoll and the University for having invited me here. It's a great pleasure and a challenge for me. Um, I will be speaking about Turkish Jews and, and uh, the anti-Semitism in Turkey, something which is very much in the news since uh, May 2010 after the Mavi Marmara incident. Turkey, which until the beginning of the millennium was often mentioned as the heirs of the Ottoman Empire, which for centuries had been a safe haven for the Jews, is today more frequently mentioned as a place where anti-Semitism and xenophobia are widespread. Indeed, a 2008 survey conducted by the Pew Research Center of Washington, D.C. on unfavorable views on Jews, of Jews and Muslims in Europe showed that 76% of Turks surveyed had an unfavorable view of Jews and 74% of them an unfavorable view of Christians. A poll from four years earlier revealed much lower numbers, 52 and 49% respectively. In, this, in response to these results, the Turkish Jewish community conducted its own survey in September 2009 on the perception of different identities and Jews in the Turkish society. The research showed that 57% of the people questioned did not want an atheist family as a neighbor, 42% did not want a Turkish family of Jewish faith, 35% a Turkish family of Christian faith, 18% a family of foreign nationality, 13% a family belonging to another sect of Islam. In the face of such results, the first question to come to mind is how a society can change so radically in, in such a short period of time. The change is due primarily to two factors, one internal and one external. The internal factor is the landslide victory of the Justice and Development Party in the 2002 national election. The Justice and Development Party in Turkish is Adalet ve Kalkınma Partisi. The acronym is AKP, but I will be using AK Party, which has been the ongoing acronym in Turkey, because AK Party literally means an immaculate party insinuating that all the parties competing with AK Party are in some way involved in corruption. The, parties, the AK Party's ideological predecessor, the Virtue Party, was the last in a series of 
political parties began in 1969 by the anti-Semite Islamist leader Nejmetin Erbakan advocating for the latest own national viewpoint in Ligurish ideology. The Virtue Party was eventually banned, banned by the Constitutional Court in 2001 on charges of having advocated and acted against the Republic's secularist principles. Unlike previous bannings and reformations, this time the National Viewpoint movement split into two. On one side were the traditionalists who continued the movement with the Felicity Party, and on the other side the reformers who under the leadership of future Prime Minister Tayyip Erdogan and future Turkish President Abdullah Gül established the AK Party. The reformers claimed that they did no more em embrace the national viewpoint ideology, that their newly formed party was a Muslim conservative party similar to the Christian Democratic Union Party of the Federal Republic of Germany. AK Party would win the 2002 elections handily. This would be the beginning of a still ongoing social engineering project where the secularism imposed by Atatürk and scrupulously guarded by the Turkish armed forces would face its greatest challenge in history and where Islamic and conservative values would start gradually replacing secular ones. AK Party's victory will give a self-confidence and aggressiveness to the Islamist press known for its anti-Semitic rhetoric due to the party's implicit support of the press. Just to give you an example of this support, it is worth mentioning that reporters from the radical Islamist and anti-Semite newspaper Vakit are regularly invited to the press corps accompanying Prime Minister Erdogan and President Gül during their travels. The external factor is the invasion of Iraq in 2003. In the wake of the US-led effort, endless conspiracy theories will begin circulating within the Turkish media and among public intellectuals. The perennial villain in Turkish conspiracy theories, the Mossad and or the Zionist State of Israel, both terms having an extremely negative connotation in the Turkish context, would again feature prominently. Among the more popular theories were those that claimed that the new autonomous government of the Kurdish region, established after the fall of Saddam Hussein, was receiving the support of Israel, that Mustafa Barzani, the father of Masoud Barzani, the current president of Kurdistan region of Iraq, was a Jew. Moreover, all of the talk to Israel-Kurdistan connections were meant to point in a direction that would suggest that the separatist Kurdish PKK movement was being supported by Israel. Another very popular conspiracy theory about crypto-Jews will circulate in the Turkish society and with the support of books purporting to be works of investigative journalism or scholarly research and selling more than 100,000 copies. This theory claims that Sabekayans or crypto-Jews had long been and were currently dominating the Turkish Republic and that as the most fervent advocate and guardians of militant secularism, they represented the major obstacle to the rule of Islam in the Turkish Republic. This conspiracy theory is one of the principal anti-Semitic terms inherent in the ideology of Turkish Islamists and its national viewpoint movement. According to, its, to this theory, the dethronement and exile to Salonika of Sultan Abdul Hamid II by the Committee <coughs> of Union and Progress actually represented the revenge taken by the late Theodor Herzl and the Zionist movement as a whole for the Sultan's refusing his request to obtain permissions for Jews to settle in Palestine. Vengeance was wrought through the various Zionists and Sabbatians who the Islamists believe have dominated the Committee of Union and Progress. For the Islamists, the dethronement of Abdul Hamid represents the end of the Ottoman Empire, an empire which still today they commemorate with much admiration. But Herzl's revenge did not stop there. It is seen to have continued with the Salonika-born founder of the Turkish Republic, Mustafa Kemal Atatürk, whom the Islamists believe to have been a Sabbatian, a crypto-Jew. Mustafa Kemal is hated by the Islamists for having abolished the Ottoman Sultanate and Caliphate and having imposed secularism on the Turkish society. The Islamists believe that if, if Islamic rule has yet to be re-established in Turkey, it is due to the studied obstructions of the Jews and their crypto-Jewish allies, the Sabbatians. In summary, the, the reasons for the growth of anti-Semitism in Turkey are A, anti-Semitic publications and conspiracy theories 
that have for decades been circulating widely and freely in the Turkish society and which gain strength with the internal and external factors that I mentioned. <coughs> B, the denial by past and present governments of Turkey that anti-Semitism ever existed and their tolerant and forgiving attitude towards their manifestation. And finally, C, the journalists and writers who propagate this conspiracy theories and anti-Semitic rhetoric freely and who have been accepted as respectable researchers and or public intellectuals in the Turkish society. Now we come to Prime Minister Erdogan. From the day he was elected until today, Prime Minister Erdogan has been described by the American and Israeli political circles with the adjectives ex or former Islamist, Islamic rooted, moderate Islamist or religiously conservative. Nowadays, a report of the Israeli Minister of Foreign Affairs described him rightfully as a Prime Minister who indirectly incites and encourages anti-Semitism in Turkey. The change in observers' perception of Erdogan is largely due to his harsh declarations after the Israeli Defense Force operation cast it in Gaza and the IDF interception on May 31st of this year of the Mavi Marmara ship carrying Turkish Islamist activists trying to break the, the Gaza blockade, and which resulted with the death of the eight Turkish and one Turkish American citizens. The shift is seen to have began on January 28, 2009 at the Davos summit, where Erdogan, in an angry tone, said to Israel's President Shimon Peres, referring to Operation Kastid, when it comes to murder, you people know very well how to kill. But this angry outburst was not merely a stage show for domestic political consumption, as some analysts commented, but a genuine demonstration of his anger toward Israel. In fact, there were advanced signals of the forthcoming crisis. Twelve days before the Davos incident, Erdogan would make the following statement, always in regards to Operation Kastid, and I'm quoting. There is a world media under the control of Israel. This has to be especially pointed out. As a matter of fact, if their publications were objective, then the incident would be seen in a very, very different light, but nobody raises their voice. Nobody says stop to this inhumanity. I'm reading from the, from the Torah. The sixth of the Ten Commandments says, Thou shall not kill. In Hebrew, it's not Rishad. Under which law, which religion, with what conscience can they justify the killing of innocent children and of God? After the tragic Marmara incident, Erdogan would repeat a number of anti-Semitic stereotypes in various declarations. For example, on June 4, while criticizing Israel, he again asserted that the Israeli government has put Israelis into a difficult position due to its irritating manner of conduct that hurt Israel's image in the world. He added that, quote, I am sure, sure that Israelis are disturbed by a perception equating the star of Zion to the Nazi swastika. The next day, Erdogan reverted to the same subject, first stating that the international press is supported by Israel, the press got the instruction from Israel, and then criticized the Turkish press, which was critical of the Turkish government's latest overtures to Iran and its handling of the Marmara incident in following words. And I'm quoting, Please put the Israeli newspapers in front of you and then put some of the well-known Turkish newspapers next to them. Believe me, there is no difference apart from language because these Turkish newspapers are subcontractors of Israel. In another Erdogan referred again to the Jews in what was intended as a compliment, but was in fact yet another anti-Semitic stereotype. In, in his opening speech of October 2009 at the Turkish University, he said, I quote, I believe that there are three important aspects of success, managing people, managing knowledge, managing money. If we are successful in all this, we will obtain well-being, we will create good scientists, we will manage our money well. The Jews, for example, have produced some very serious inventions. They are printing money from the place that they are sitting. You can see it in the history of the telephone and the light bulb. They are still deriving the benefits of them. When I was the mayor of Istanbul, I studied the Jewish citizens of Istanbul. Most of them do not own buildings but are tenants in the best places because owning a building locks the money into one place but if you are a tenant you can earn money from your cash.
In order to understand why Erdogan's statements concerning Israel and Jews are repetitions of anti-Semitic stereotypes, it is sufficient to remember that Erdogan's and his party's ideological roots are in the National Viewpoint movement. The National Viewpoint rhetoric, including that of its eminence Greece, Nechmetin Erbakan, is full of anti-Semitic terms and conspiracy theories. Erdogan's statements repeating anti-Semite stereotypes show that the negative stereotypes about Jews and Israel that he read or heard throughout his political career that started in the 70s in Erbakan's National Salvation Party and later in the Welfare Party, both parties followers of the National Viewpoint ideology, are still present in his mindset in spite of his reassurances that both he himself and his party have abandoned this ideology. Nor should it be thought that the problem is solely limited to Erdogan. Rather, it is that AK Party's outlook of, on the world, similar to that of Turkish society as a whole, tends to be through the prism of conspiracy theories. Two examples of this will be sufficient to make my point. First example. During the same hours of the Mavi Marmara incident, PKK militants attacked military barracks in Iskenderun, killing six Tur Turkish soldiers. Upon hearing of both incidents, Hussein Çelik, AK Party's vice president in charge of media and public relations, declares that we do not think that it is a coincidence that these two attacks happened at the same time. The subsequent increased number of PKK attacks against Turkish military tar targets days after led Erdogan to state that PKK was being manipulated by subcontractors, and the consensus in the Turkish society was that the subcontractor was Israel. Example 2. After the Mavi Marmara incident, Amer Çelik, AK Party's vice president in charge of foreign relations, paid a, vis a visit to Washington. He contacted the administration and American Jewish organizations and then organized a press conference at the end. At the conference, he referred to the strained Turkish-Israeli relations and declared that Israel is making propaganda and trying to show the current tension as emanating from Turkey, from Prime Minister Erdogan. We know what this means. Those who know well the history of Turkey know that such propaganda is simply some people's, meaning Israelis, inciting either a military coup or undemocratic means and ways in Turkey. End of, end of quote. Prime Minister Erdogan has repeatedly warned the Islamist activists and protesters in demonstrating against Israel to make distinctions between the people of Israel and the government of Israel, saying that he is critical of the Israeli government only and not of the Israeli people, as well as between the state of Israel and Turkish Jews, wishfully thinking that the public will make a difference between Turkish Jews and the demonized image of Zionism and the state of Israel. He has also, while appealing to the public to make this distinction and thus protecting Turkish citizens, he has also frequently incited anti-Jewish activists by simply repeating anti-Semitic stereotypes. For a number of historical reasons, Turkey's overwhelmingly Muslim society and its political establishment have long been suspicious of the country's non-Muslim citizens' loyalty. In addition, both Zionism and Israel have long been associated with unremittingly negative connotation within Turkish public space. In such a poisoned atmosphere, it is normal for the Turkish Jewish community and its leaders to mask their true feelings towards both Zionism and the state of Israel. Until the Mavi Marmara incident, Turkish Jewish leadership, if asked, will describe the community's relationship to the state of Israel as an emotional tie to Israel. After the Mavi Marmara incident, it is no more possible to describe this relationship in such terms, since if it is done so, it will be seen as the leadership's implicit endorsement of Israel's intervention on the Mavi Marmara. Such approval will be perceived by the Turkish society, which already uh, suspects minority loyalties to Turkey, as synonymous with a betrayal of the fatherland. Under these conditions, the current and future security of Turkish Jewish community is dependent on how successful the leaders of Turkish Jewry are in transmitting to the Turkish public an image of a community which is 
non-Zionist and extremely critical of the state of Israel's treatment of the Palestinian people. Thank you. Basically, is uh, Hamas. 
This campaign is involved in all spheres of propaganda, international court of aid, academic boycott, you name it, media, parliaments, and so on and so forth, especially in, in the West. Since Castle, Hamas has very much increased its anti-Semitic uh, uh, propaganda. It, it triggered many expressions of anti-Semitism in the Arab world, but also within Hamas and the Palestinians. Anti-Semitic motives taken from Islamic motives and also from the traditional European uh, uh, um, foundations or history. Uh, the element of the Jews as they are descendants of the apes and the pigs, uh, was all the time on the agenda. The aspiration of the Jews to take over the world. Comparison between the Gaza war, all the time, the comparison between the Gaza